It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Restoring order to your financial chaos. Retirement, investing, taxes. You've got financial questions, he's got financial answers. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Welcome to the Money Guy Show. I'm your host, Brian Preston. By day, I am a fee-only wealth manager on the south side of Atlanta. Um, I am a certified financial planner, a certified public accountant, and I'm a personal financial specialist, which means I'm a CPA that does financial planning. So we're here to talk about, and it seems like this is a common trend, and I, I hate to keep coming back to it, but I think every two or three months, especially in this type of marketplace, you guys need a reminder, something that will keep your eye on the ball, keep your eye on the prize that is out there if you can be you know, open-minded to what is the long-term purpose of your financial dreams, what you're trying to do, what you're trying to accomplish, why you're saving monthly, and, and that all this noise that goes on with the 24-hour access to, to financial information, whether it's the news channels, whether it's the magazines, the newspapers, it is noise in the grand scheme of where you're trying to end up. So that's what we're here to talk about today. We're talking about fear, the financial markets, and your money. And I'm trying to help you not to panic because just because this might be the, the dreaded R word, the recession, or this could be definitely, a, a you know, we're headed toward or we are in a bear market, you don't have to lose your mind and lose all of your, your you know, the analytical thought process that puts you into the plan that you're currently in, you don't have to leave all that behind just because we're in some dark times here for the economy. Um, I want to give you the contact information. If you want to go check out the show notes, you can go to moneyguide.com. You can also email the show. That's Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at moneyguide.net. And um, love to have your input on the show. And, of course, you can go check us out on iTunes. Uh, what has made us so popular and put us on that featured front page of iTunes is some of your great comments. And I could not have done this show without the grassroots growth that you guys have brought. So let's talk about this. And first, I want to go ahead and apologize. This post is exactly one day late. And the reason it's late is because yesterday I spent most of the day fielding concerned phone calls. And then I was also writing an economic and market update letter to my clients. And you can imagine that letter was generated because of some of the phone calls I received. I know that there's a lot of scared people out there, and and, and I take that to heart. I really do. And it's during these volatile times that good advisors prove their worth to their clients. And, and that's what we're trying to do. And as you can imagine, it's also a stressful time for me. You can you can ask my wife that. I mean, she I've been walking around, kind of moping around, because this is not easy. I mean, when you manage people's money, and you have, you know, quite a few of your clients are in the retirement phase of their life, you're carrying the weight of their retirement on your shoulders. And, and, and that is not something that, that is easy to take in. But, but with that said, I know that there are quite a few listeners that are they're new investment advisors. Um, they're, they're students studying to become investment professionals. And there's even others out there considering making the jump. Uh, so I think this show is very beneficial because for those individuals who are thinking about getting into this field of study or just are, are that type of person that just the talking about finances, talking about investments is very intriguing to you, this is the type of stuff that will allow you to really grow as a manager of money. Even if you're not going into the field, if you're managing your own money and you're a younger person, 
bear markets don't occur that, you know, they occur usually once to twice every decade. And so since they don't occur all the time, you can learn a lot during the, these moments. And, and that's what I would tell you is that, you know, take in everything that's going on around you because uh, you can absorb a lot from this experience and it can make you a better manager, it can make you a better person handling your own personal finances because you get to firsthand see the importance of diversification. We talk about diversification for years and it's only when you get into these rough patches that you really see the value of diversification because if you go back in time, look at some of the the years out there, like in 1998 when the S&P 500 made over 28%. 2003, the S&P 500 was up, I think it was up, it was up either 23 to 28% that year because that was the year we recovered. Um, you, you would have done much better just buying like an S&P 500 fund and then being diversified. But, and, and that's, uh, a lot of people, they miss the point if you're just buying all equities you're not diversifying and following the rules that we're trying to tell you on the power of diversification. Sure, there's some great years out there that can give you a lot of banter to go to and talk about at cocktail parties about how smart you are. But what you don't have is this protection when you hit markets like exactly what we're in right now. i got to tell you, if you're one of those people sitting out there just in an all-large-cap stock or all-international or something like that, you're, you're starting to go, man, Maybe there is something to this this power of diversification because that's going to be what helps you weather this storm. That's what's going to be uh, to allow you to to make sure that you're not counting on just all one group of assets because you know there are things that are making money and you just have to make sure that you have yourself represented across enough asset classes whether it's you know, you of course got to have your traditional equities. You got to have some bonds. You got to have some cash and equivalents. You got to have a little bit of real estate, even though real estate's become a cuss word. Real estate's not a bad thing to have in the long term. You got to have commodities. You got to have all kind of exposure so that you can take advantage of what's going on. And of course, long short funds or hedge equities, whatever you want to call them, they have many different titles. Primarily for mutual funds, they're called long short funds because that's the, what Morningstar has deemed their name. But for very wealthy investors that are doing it on the private side, they're called hedge funds. So think about these things because you are getting firsthand access to seeing the power of diversification, the relationship of risk and reward because they do go hand in hand. Obviously, you know, people who thought that they had a huge ability to absorb risk because they wanted that outsized return are quickly understanding that with that great reward that you can earn, there's also quite a bit of volatility that comes with that, meaning that it's a roller coaster. You might make 40% one year, but you might give back 25 very quickly. So you've got to think about the relationship between risk and reward. And of course, the importance of controlling your emotions, because I know they're raw right now. Um, when times are good, it's easy to look at the average returns of the equity markets and jump right in. And this is what I was talking about, that risk and return. You can jump right in with the anticipation of letting your money work for you. So if you're not having to work with your back, you're not having to work with your hands, you've got your money working for you. What do you have to worry about? But once there's a sign of any trouble on the horizon, that decision starts to become cloudy and the desire for comfort and safety take over for a lot of us out there. And that's what can get you in trouble. You know, we all hear the adage that you want to buy low and sell high. But I think you're going to find out from some of the, the, the items I'm sharing today is that many of us out there do the exact opposite. A lot of us do where we're buying high 
and then we sell low. And there, there's research out there that supports this, and I'm going to go over that today. So today, if you want to go out and check out those show notes, again, that's moneyguy.com. That's moneyguy.com. You can go look out because I put some links um, and let me go over the, real quickly what these links are. I've got the cycle of emotional investing. I've, I put these all in PDF version, um, except for the link that I have to a Barron's article. But the rest of these are, are PDF um, files that I've put out there, so you can actually look at some of these things. I've got the, the cycle uh, of market emotions, and I've talked about this in the past. And, and what I think is very interesting is that we've definitely come out of, if you're going through the cycle, you first start off when a market's coming out of you know recovery mode where you have optimism, where people start to realize, hey, maybe things aren't so bad, go through excitement, then they get into the thrill because they're making money. You're not worried about things with what's going on out there in the market because everything's rosy, the economy's looking great. And this is the, the period between thrill and the euphoria that comes from making money in the market is where people start to think they are so smart. They've, they've figured out... How you know they wonder why everybody's not doing what they're doing, and then when you reach that point of euphoria, that is really the point of maximum financial risk. And this is you know it's interesting to me, and I'm going to talk about this in one of the articles that I'm going to be the Barron's article. That I'm going to talk about it at the end of the show is that if you go back in history and look at the biggest inflow of investments into mutual funds in history, you'd be surprised to know that I believe it was February of 2000. And what occurred in March of 2000, that's when we started the fall of 2000, the 2001, and 2002, the longest-running bear market since World War II. So that, that's a very scary thing that we had the longest bear market, and yet we had the biggest inflows right at the beginning of that financial disaster, that, that Internet bubble that was out there. So it truly is the point of maximum financial risk. So once things start coming down, if you're going back and looking at, say, March of 2000, is if that's the euphoria, and we start coming down, we have anxiety. And then between anxiety and we're headed towards denial, right in between there, you have people say, this is just a temporary setback. I'm a long-term investor. I can handle this. And, and I'm not so sure that we've not passed the denial stage and we're headed towards the fear. Um, because this has been going on for four straight months now. We're starting to get people that are starting to get really worried about what's going on. I imagine there's even people out there that are stopping their 401k investments, and, and they're freaking out about this. From fear, you go to, to, to desperation, panic, and then you get down there where you're so frustrated that you go, how could I have been so wrong? And then that's when you reach, you know, right before you reach depression, you've got the point of maximum financial opportunity. And I'm not willing to call a bottom yet. I think there's still a lot of volatility going on out there because... I'll tell you what I can remember from 2000 was you have to remember in 2000, well, 2002, what I remember from 2002, which is the year that we did start the recovery in October of 2002. I remember we went through 2000 where the market gave back approximately 20%. 2001, the market gave back a little over 12%. And then we come into 2002 and the market was down just awful. I mean, it was bad. I mean, it was down, I know the end of the year, I believe it closed down 22%, but you have to recognize the recovery started in the month of October, and it was good from October all the way through the end of the year. So really, we were down much further than 22% in the year of, in, in 2002. And if you can think back, if you were doing any type of financial investing back during that, that, that period, you can probably recall that 
everybody would have thought you were a fool or stupid to be doing anything with equities whatsoever. Equities and stocks became a cuss word. It's kind of like what real estate is doing going through right now. And I'm not willing to call a bottom on the real estate because there's still a ton of inventory out there. And there haven't really been any policy changes to encourage uh, a, a change in that front. So I, I don't, I'm not willing to call um, a bottom on that. But you have to recognize that real estate's not a cuss word like it's becoming in our, you know, in our society these days. And I think stocks are headed that way just as they did back in 2002 as well, where people, after a while, just go get so tired of this constant emotional drain, they just go give up and say, I'm done with stocks. I'm, just, I'm not doing this again. I'm just going to sit on the side on I can't stand investing in this stuff. I'm just never doing it again. And that's usually the best time invest. And, and I know I've used the quote a gazillion times, and y'all probably are so, so tired of me talking about Warren Buffett at this point, because I would devote the entire last podcast on it and want me to get back on topic with some other issues. But I do think it is very interesting that that quote, doing it off memory, I know about it somewhere in here, I actually have the true quote, but I think is, you know, paraphrasing, is that if you want to be, if you're trying to time the market, if you are, I'm not advocating the market, it is something just going from a contrarian viewpoint, because there's a lot of value value to being a contrarian and doing the opposite of what the average person is doing, is that you want to be greedy when others are fearful, and you want to be fearful when others are greedy. So if you can think about it, when everybody is scared to death about doing anything with investments, probably not a bad time to be out there doing something. So we go from depression, which is the point of of maximum financial opportunity. You're getting in at the bottom because just like markets are overbought, they also get oversold. And that's why you typically see that huge jump that I'm going to talk about in a little bit. You go from depression to hope to relief, and then you complete this cycle by hitting optimism once again and starting the cycle all over again. And like I said, if you look at the historical, I've got a slide here that you also can go pull up on the um, on the Money Guy website at moneyguy.com. It's, it's titled Bear Markets, an Appreciation um, the track of the bear since World War II. And um, I've got this slide. Now, I know it's ugly. It came black and white. Um, my partner, Bill, sent me this, emailed this over to me. Um, it's the sources, um, Standard & Poor's, cited in Simple Wealth, Inevitable Wealth. And I think it's a great little slide. And like I said, I, t- I apologize for it not being you know presentation ready, but at least I wanted you to have the data. It has the the start of the the bear markets since World War II, and then um, where the bottom of those bear markets were in the dates, the number of days duration, how long those bear markets last, and then the actual percentage decline in the S&P 500. So if you go back to May of 1946 to May of 1947, it lasted 353 days is the first bear market they list here, so it's approximately a year, and it lost 23%. You know, a lot of you are probably going, man, if I could handle that. And then, you, you know, you jump in. Let's go into something a little sooner. We've got a good year, the year I was born, 1973, to from January of 1973 through December of 1974. It was a 694-day bear market, and it was down 45%. Um, from September of 76 through February of 78, that's a 525-day bear market. It lost 27%. And then if you go down here and look at something a little more recent, look at the, from uh, from July 17th of 98 through August 31st of 98. That's not very long at all. That's only about a you know a month and a half period there. The market was down 19%. I can remember I was managing money at that time, so I remember I had um. 
I had a client. He was um, I, I'll go, he was a, I was we worked with some agents at one of the firms, the sports agents that at one of the previous firms I worked with, and we had a, a football star that was um, he was probably at the twilight of his career, and he was starting to get you know think about his finances and stuff, and I, I never felt like he truly trusted us on everything. Even though I don't, we I felt like I was always doing everything in his best interest. He just never completely understood. I think he had a lot of people in his ears that were telling him he could double his money by investing in all these crazy schemes that are out there. So he never trusted the boring way that we were trying to make money. And you see that happen a lot with people who come into money. Um, you know, they, they quite often have somebody whispering in the ear how how these get-rich-quick schemes that are never really what they, they seem to be. But people listen. They like to hear that stuff. Um, so I remember I had this 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 client, he came in in August and said, I want all of my money out of the market. I just, I can't stand this. This is wrong. Y'all are losing all my money. I want it all out. And I remember feeling so sick that here he is. We'd give him back 20% in this month and a half period. And he was selling out right then. And, and I told him it was a mistake, but he still did it. So we did it, you know, because I was, you know, I got to tell you, it was a volatile situation, very nervous. We sold it. And what made me sick looking back on it is that if he'd have stayed in there like we were trying to recommend to him, by the end of the year he would have made back everything he lost and then actually been in the in the green uh, on all the money that he'd lost in that in that month and a half period of time. But, you know, emotions do crazy, crazy things to you. Think back now, even closer, this is the most recent bear market that was out there from March 24th of 2000 through October 9th of 2002, that was a 929-day bear market. And the market, the S&P 500, lost 49.1%. And, and there's a lot of you that, that are still hurting from that experience because you have not recovered. Now, why have you not recovered is because a lot of you, if you remember what happened before the, the, the 2000 fall, was that you had the S&P 500 and then a lot of technology stocks had been on a run for so long that people started thinking that we are, I still remember people talking about a new paradigm, how we were, you know, valuations of companies, that the traditional 15 price-to-earnings ratio was worthless because now companies were so much more efficient, so much more growth was headed their way that uh, a reasonable price-to-earnings ratio might be 40, 50. There was even companies out there trading at several hundred dollars um, you know, their price was $700 over several, several hundred times their actual earnings, which is just outrageous to think that this was sustainable for an extended period of time uh, to, to have these things. I, I even remember, if y'all remember that um, that web grocery store, it was Webban, what was it, was it Webban or um, I'm slaughtered, I'm trying to remember, I, if I would have been one of the smart guys, I'd have bought some of those um, shares so I could hung up on my wall for all the the companies the the tele you know the 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 dot com companies that went under. But I still remember the the web van. I think that I think it was web banner. It was anyway. It was an online grocery store had more market capitalization than Kroger, Publix, and all the other big public grocery stores combined. And, and you know, counting the real estate and everything else. And here you had really a company that had nothing except for a business concept. And, and and people went just gaga over the whole thought that they that had dot com after their name. Um, very interesting. But these are things just like I, I mentioned earlier on the the cycle of market emotions. Items do get oversold. So if we talk about and this is why you know a lot of people say, well, Brian, wait a minute. Why should I stay in the market when you just told me that from two thousand to two thousand two was the longest bear market since World War Two? 
It was, you know, 929 days. The market lost 49%. Why in the world would I want to stay in that market? I'd rather just sit on the sidelines over here in cash, let this pass, and then get in. This is this is why, and this is the reason. Let me break this into two parts. Is because now, if you're a person that's retired, already retired, you might need to go look at your asset allocation to 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 evaluate if your goals match up to what you're doing with your money. But for everybody else who's in their thirty, you know, twenties, thirties, forties, you need to calm down. And just sit back and relax because this is why you need to, to hang in there. You've got time for this recovery, and the recovery will occur. You've got time for the recovery because just and you want to hang in there and, and just try to make sure your diversified portfolio is protecting you because um, you're going to be okay. Because what happens is is that markets, as they get oversold, the recovery is huge. Um, and, and let me give you some facts. And I know, you know, I put an article that I've got out there on the internet that I had published back during the darkest times, and I mentioned it in previous podcasts. It's an article titled "What You Should Know in an Uncertain Market." It was published by a local Metro Atlanta newspaper on Thursday, October third of two thousand two. And you can go click on the link at moneyguy.com if you want to see it. And what was, and what's very interesting about that date is that within six days of that date that I published that article, and I published that article because I was getting calls from clients and prospects that they were freaking out about how bad the market was in October of 2002. But if I would have only known that I could have said, hey, in six days, we're going to be at the run of a lifetime here. So just hang in there. But, you know, nobody knows that. You don't know that you're about to hit a recovery. Because remember, I was at the point and didn't even realize at the point of maximum financial opportunity because everybody was in the depression mode about the investing. So when I wrote this article of what you should know in an uncertain market in October 3rd of 2002, we were within six days of reaching the dead bottom of that longest bear market since World War II. Um, so what happened is the S&P 500 bottomed out at 776 points. Um, and the article I referenced on average markets rise by 9.8% one month af- after they reached the bottom of a bear market. Furthermore, if you expand that same period to one year from the bottom of a bear market, the stock market historically rise by 26.2%. And over, the, uh, over that following 12-month period, so we've now had five years to go back and look at these numbers to see how true they held up. And I think you're going to be surprised to hear um, that we went from October 9th, 2002 to, to November 8th, that first month of recovery, the market returned, the S&P 500 returned 15%. From October 9th, 2002 through October 8th of 2003, the first 12 months after it hit the dead bottom, the market returned an outsized 33%. So we even blew out those historical averages I gave you of 9.8 and 26.2% quite substantially. And that's why you want to hang in there. Because if you're doing the right thing with your portfolio, hopefully you've only got a third to half of the volatility of the broad markets. And then when it comes back, hopefully you're recapturing two-thirds to three-quarters of the upside. That's the power of diversification is if you can mitigate the volatility, so you're only losing that third to a half of the, of the market, but then you're capturing two-thirds to 